Welcome back to Six Minute Sex Ed, the podcast that helps people talk about sex and relationships. My name's Kim Cavill. I'm a sex education teacher, and I'm so glad you're listening. I make this podcast for busy people to listen to together. Listen together and then talk about it. For more information about me, check out my website, teaandintimacy.com. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you. This is part two in a three-part series on creating queer inclusive spaces. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to Carolyn Walscog, who's the executive director of housing for 360 Youth Services, which is a nonprofit based in Naperville, Illinois. Carolyn specializes in working with LGBTQ plus youth and regularly trains school staff, organizations, and professionals in providing LGBTQ plus inclusive services. I got the chance to ask her about how schools and teachers in particular can include LGBTQ plus young people and create welcoming spaces in which all students can thrive. I loved this conversation and I know you're going to love it too. That being said, this episode is level two, which makes it perfect for tweens, teens, and adults. So let's get to it. Let's talk to Carolyn about making queer inclusive spaces for kids. Hi, Carolyn Walscock. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so glad to talk to you. You and I have kind of known each other in professional circles for a while, and I'm really glad that you agreed to be on the podcast and talk to me about your uh, wisdom and your experience today, because I think what you have to say is super valuable for, not just for myself, obviously, because I've been in trainings with you before, which I really appreciate, but all the listeners of the Six Minute Sex Ed podcast. So thank you for coming on and talking with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So what I really wanted to speak to you about is how to make spaces more safe and welcoming for all young people, young people of all different backgrounds and identities, of course, um, specifically young people from the LGBTQ plus community, uh, queer kids, et cetera. And you've got a lot of experience in training people how to make their spaces, classrooms included, more safe and welcoming for young people from all walks of life. And so my first question for you today is, How can teachers or staff at schools or anybody that works with young people really make their spaces safe and welcoming places for all young people? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think sometimes we make it harder on ourselves than we need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the first step of really creating a welcoming space is acknowledging that young people might identify as queer or trans or anywhere else across the spectrum And maybe they don't currently identify that way in your classroom, but have the potential to have those identities. So first, just stopping and recognizing that that might happen and taking a little visual inventory about what it might be like to be in that space with person with that identity or as someone who has a family member who is queer or trans or identifies, you know, other than straight and cis. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is one of the first things we can do. And I think rainbows and unicorns and flags go a long way. Um, As funny as those might seem or insignificant as they might seem, even myself walking into a space, I remember walking by the Children's Museum in our town and they had a rainbow triangle walking in. And so that to me said they were intentionally welcoming me and my family. And so I think first step is just one, acknowledging that kids might identify that way. Even if you are working with younger young kids who 
maybe that's not in their vocabulary yet, but starting to create spaces so that they know um, that there's different types of family structures and different identities. Um, and then, yeah, for then looking around your classroom and seeing what books do I have? What posters do I have? What word problems do I use that describe different types of families and different types of identities? So I think it really starts as simple as that. Um, uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money um, just to create a welcoming space. Um, so I think that's where I would start. I think that's great advice. And, you know, that applies, of course, maybe as a teacher, that's really applicable. But I'm, you know, I'm also thinking about how applicable that is to my own home, right? My own family. I've got two young children and being intentional about the kind of books we bring home from the library and the kind of books we bring home from the store and um, the kind of things that are on display in my own home. I think that that's a really good piece of advice too. And I like the way you put it too, even if you're you're not working with young people who identify any of these ways as trans or, you know, queer yet, that potential of course is still there. And so it's good to make space for that potential, you know, to develop. And so you make sure that you don't cut that space off, thereby cut somebody's potential off by doing that. So I think I really appreciate the way that you put that too. I'll be walking around my home with a renewed critical eye looking at my bookshelf because I think that that's a good reminder for all of us really. And I always call that like, and I get this from my friend Owen, the idea of being a possibility model for young people. And I didn't grow up in a space that acknowledged that queer people existed. It was not part of my community. My parents didn't have openly gay friends or anything like that. So I didn't see what a model of what my family or my future could look like. And so I am so intentional with like my nibblings, my sister's kids of making sure that I'm buying them those books. And now mm. I just buy them and keep them at my house to read at auntie's like, so mm-hmm. that they can see those things and it's normalized. Um, and we have books about all different types of things about grief and loss and race and privilege and all that different types of things, because I want them to know, to have it feel normalized and not like, mm. Hey, we're going to talk about gay stuff today, but it's just <laughs> right, this right. part of our, our classroom um, that knows that, that there are these books that exist if people want them. Excellent. And um, so also for the listeners that are looking for great books, uh, Melissa Carnegie of Sex Positive Families to me has the best reading list on the internet. So I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes to her uh, book list, which is extraordinary because I think, um, you know, people will be looking for those excellent resources. And so the second question that I have for you is where can teachers get more information? I guess, you know, parents too get more information or resources for creating inclusive spaces. So if you have somebody that really wants to be able to do this, but doesn't really know where to start, maybe didn't grow up in a place that acknowledges possibilities like you were talking about, I, I certainly had that experience myself. Where would some good places be that uh, people could find resources that would help them in, this, in starting this conversation? Yeah, there's so many places now, which is the best thing. And it's also hard to keep a resource list (laughs) because so many things have been developed. I have really been loving following different folks on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So Glisten, which is the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, Mm -hmm. they they did a Teacher of the Year. And their 2019 Teacher of the Year has an Instagram called Teaching Outside the Binary, I think. or and then there's one that's called gender inclusive classrooms, and so that is is a new way for me to find different resources. Um, but yes, following along with Glisten and welcoming schools, 
those are really great websites that have just large catalogs of ideas. Welcoming schools, um, you know, has different pages of what do I say to a third grader if they said they ask, what does gay mean? And it gives you different responses, which are developmentally appropriate. Because I think, again, that is the scary piece to a lot of people. How do I talk about this to a second grader? Well, we're not talking about the um, sex or we're talking mm-hmm. about gay people. Um, to a second grader, we're talking about love and relationships and, you know, having warm feelings to someone else. And, mm-hmm. and that doesn't matter their gender. And so I think those are great. And then I always start people with the book, The Transgender Teen or The Transgender Child by Brill and Pepper. And those folks um, work out of, um, oh, geez, now I'm forgetting their name. Um, it's like the large transgender um, website that is just yeah. not coming to me right now. But, um, but that book is just um, so wonderful um, to really help like educators, parents get a basic understanding of transgender young people. That's excellent. I didn't know that a resource that, that you mentioned that has like developmentally appropriate responses to what sounds like like frequently asked questions, right? Because I agree with you. Like that's the scary and intimidating piece for a lot of parents and caring adults, you know, mm-hmm. because there's all this pressure to say exactly the right thing. And we don't have a lot of models necessarily about what the right thing might be. And so uh, thank you for mentioning that. I'm excited to put all those links in the show notes so people can find those resources that you just talked about. So that's awesome. And, and I'll also say my, um, my friend AJ, who's also an early childhood educator, has always mm-hmm. taught me that we can revisit conversations. We don't mm-hmm. have to get it right the first time. And I think giving educators and parents permission to know that even if you messed up or said something real weird, you can always <laughs> go back. And that's such a great way to model young people and say, hey, do you mind if we check back in on that thing that we were talking about? I actually might have a different answer or I looked up more information and I want to expand mm-hmm. on that. Um, and so you don't have to feel like you dropped the ball. I always tell people you don't have to be the walking dictionary of this stuff <laughs> because the terms change all the time. That's why I love working with young people because it keeps me on my toes and I'm learning different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as we approach it with a curiosity like that's great that things evolve and change. Like, and if we have that perspective, um, it makes it easier to, to approach this work. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I t- I completely agree. I have a lot of those same conversations with parents and caring adults that you know, you model you model relationship skills really and communication skills when you come back and you want to revisit something or correct something that you'd previously said, and so it's just another uh, good lesson on top of the lesson that you were already trying to address. So um, I totally agree. And my last question that I had for you is what can health teachers do to make their curriculum inclusive for all students? That's a great question. Again, I think Mm. that in some ways you have to kind of take the temperature of your community and your school. I can give my best practice recommendations, but you also want to make sure that you're doing this in the safe way that you're going to be supported Mm -hmm in your school building. Because again, I'm not an educator. I'm a social worker, mostly working in housing, but I work to make sure that wherever my residents are interacting, that they're getting safe and affirming services. Mm -hmm. And so as I talk to teachers and thinking about what my young people need, I want to make sure that they are going to be supported by their administration when they do share this information. And so say that you are, or doing that, I think, um, really looking at the way that we gender language. So rather than saying all girls are going to get their period and teaching what that means, 
is really saying like pe- people with uterus or mm-hmm. uteri, whatever, <laughs> may, mm-hmm. um, may experience this. And I think um, when you challenge yourself to think about how like a transgender girl sitting in your class who doesn't have a uterus, um, she might not feel welcome if you're saying all girls experience this, but also people who may grow up to have fertility issues or mm-hmm. all different types of things also are going to be impacted by um, not hearing that all or nothing message, but some people may experience this. So people with a vagina or people mm-hmm. with a penis versus mm-hmm. boys and girls, I think those subtle tweaks say a lot to students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, or just saying like your chest instead of your breasts or something like that. Um, like those are tweaks that we can make. Um, and then, I think as you start to evaluate and look at your curriculum, you don't want to necessarily, again, just have a gay day where you talk about those things. But I do know that some health teachers have taken a day to talk about, um, you know, the gender unicorn or different Mm -hmm. spectrums of identity. And that can be really helpful because there are teens who are saying, I actually don't know what all these different words mean. Can you help break that up? So I think you can definitely have a day that you do that, but also find ways to incorporate different types of relationships mm-hmm. throughout your class, not just on that one day of the unit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's really good advice. And um, there's actually one of the things that I really appreciate is that San Francisco United School District, uh, they have a Be Real, Be Ready uh, curriculum, which is their comprehensive sex education curriculum. And they put it for free online for everybody to look at. And I know that... Um, you know, I think it's like 14 lessons or something, but I know that the first lesson is kind of like um, a terminology lesson where it's not, you know, just like gay day, as you're kind of saying, but yeah. those terms are included with the rest of the terms that they they decided that you need to be able to understand to get the most out of the lessons that are coming uh, down the line. And so I think that there's definitely some clever ways to do that. Um, and obviously it makes a huge difference. I, I appreciate your advice about the language too, which can take some practice, you know, it can take practice for people who've never uh, tried to remove those gender expectations from their language before that uh, we might've grown up with. Um, I know that it took me some practice many years ago when I started to talk like that. And now it feels like second nature, but at the same time, when you're working with young people, language changes and it changes really fast, right? Too. And so yeah. I think, uh, it's good advice, you know, to let, I don't know, for myself, I think it's important that when I'm working with young people that um, I stay open to them teaching me too, and not just expecting that it's a one way, you know, information transfer, because they teach me a lot every time that I work with them. I'm sure you have the same experience in working with so many young people. Absolutely. And I think another thing that I always recommend to teachers is sometimes I get a panic call from a school district of saying, oh no, we have this, this young person and we're about to teach um, about puberty and we separate based on boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Where should this student go? And I really want to get to a place where we're being proactive and not reactive as schools. And so mm-hmm. really, as you are the educator in your building, what is our plan for this? Not waiting until that family comes to you going, well, what are you going to do with my kid that day? And so um, I'd love to live in a world where we didn't separate by um, <laughs> sex or gender to teach about those things. But if you're not there yet as you're building, you should still think about ahead of time, not waiting till you have a trans student or a non-binary student, but thinking about, okay, 
what would our plan be? How would we approach the student and this family about making sure that they're getting the information that they need? And also that all kids are getting information about different types of bodies and what is happening with them. So I just find that um, when schools are having to overcorrect for a mm. mistake, it's because they didn't take the time to think about it ahead of time before they were in the situation. And then someone says something dumb or they regret and then the student is the casualty. So that's what I'm always trying to prevent. Um, so if you are in a building that maybe you haven't done just the basic one Oh LGBTQ one Oh one for your, for your teachers, that's something that I would advocate for as a teacher. It can be really hard to find that time, but you know, start bringing that up the beginning of the year so that as they're planning out all the different Institute days, try to get someone in there because until you really have like the basics, um, it's hard to go into the inclusive curriculum pieces because you need to know that you have that support from your administration. If you have some of that pushback that we're all afraid might happen. Carolyn Walscock, thank you so much for talking to me and the rest of the listeners today. I can't wait to share this episode with everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening today. Remember, you can send questions and comments to 6minutesexed at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and you can find me on Twitter. See you in a couple weeks with another episode.